the All About Setwork podcast. In this podcast, we talk about all things setwork. That can include training tips, a behind-scenes look at what your instructor or trial official is going through, and much more. In this episode, I have the distinct privilege of speaking with Natalie McManus, all about the AKC Berry class. Before we start diving into the episode itself, let me do a very quick introduction of myself. My name is Diana Santos. I'm the owner and lead instructor for Setwork University, Dogsport University, and Pet Dog U. These are online dog training platforms that are designed to help you achieve your dog training goals, and we're very fortunate to have a client basis worldwide. For Setwork University in particular, we provide online courses, seminars, webinars, and ebooks that are all centered around Setwork. So, regardless of where you are in your snippy journey, we likely have a training solution for you. <laughs> so, now that you know a little bit more about me, let's dive into the podcast episode itself. So, in this episode, I have the distinct privilege of speaking to one of our instructors, Natalie McManus of Ready, Sit, Go, who is an approved AKC Setwork judge, as well as a NACSWCO, a judge. And she's also a very accomplished competitor in her own right, a professional instructor and trainer. She is fantastic. <laughs> but I have the distinct privilege in this episode of talking to her all about the AKC Setwork Berry class. So let's have a listen to that conversation. So I want to thank you so much for talking to us about the Berry class, a class that causes so many people angst and stress and like, why did they do this to us? (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. It is definitely an angsty class. (laughs) So you are not only an instructor, but you're also a judge. So you actually have both perspectives that you can come at this from. So do you want to just maybe give your overall opinion about the class and then what you think people may come into the class with the misconceptions about? Maybe. (laughs) Sure. So I think that one of the big difficulties of AKC Buried is the size and weight of the containers, the sort of complicated factors that come into practicing it. So it tends to be not practiced and then sort of binged for a little while and then not practiced. And so, you know, there are sort of pros and cons, of course, to not practicing it too often. But I think a lot, what really happens is that the handler gets anxious about the class because they feel like they're not practicing it enough. They don't feel confident about it. And so then they're you know more likely to make mistakes or um, feel like they're, you know, go and feeling like their dog isn't going to do well. And that's never a good attitude to go into a search with. Um, and then the other really big thing is, and this is also true of containers, although it's a little bit different and buried, is that the hide is so inaccessible. And if we're practicing it with the hide at the bottom of the four inches of substrate, and then we've got that grade on top, the dog is getting nowhere near source, and they end up putting buried um, in sort of a different space in in what they think their job is than like interiors and exteriors where they know their job is to get as close to source as they can at least that's what we hope they know their job is and then in buried because they often unless you're practicing where they can get to source and or you're helping them maintain connection with the fact that source is in there even though they can't get to it they tend to start thinking that their job in buried is to find a pool of odor and that also tends to get wrapped up with other dog slobber, dog footprints, treats, smells, um, sometimes hand scent, I think, from whoever's moving the containers around as well. And so we think our dog is making errors because we're getting no's. And the dog is doing exactly what they think we told them to do in our practice. And if we are paying them, for example, a lot of odor tends to pool in those handles. 
And so if we're paying them consistently for alerting on the handles, because we know that's the right container, the dog may not see an enormous difference between those handles with a bunch of odor molecules in it versus the handles of the next container over with a bunch of odor molecules in it. And so I think we really have to, if we're having trouble in Barry, we really need to look at it from the dog's perspective of what do they think they're getting paid for right now? And how do we shift that back to being connected to the fact that source is actually in those containers? And I think part of that is that we shouldn't practice for like it's a test all the time. Uh, we don't need to set up all those containers and you know have all that substrate in there, have the odor at the bottom and have the grates on there. Of course, we do that some for both the dog and the handler to understand what that looks like when it is set up for trial, but I don't think it's necessarily helpful to do it like that all the time. Um, I like to practice quite a bit with the grates off and with the odor either not buried or not as buried. Sand specifically, I will use sometimes larger rocks to change that airflow so that it's clear to the dog exactly where source is. And with water, I will often practice with the water level significantly reduced so that the dog can get right to source. And I also like to practice water in kiddie pools and natural water uh, ponds or, or puddles or whatever. So the dog is not thinking, well, if there's water, I just say this water all sort of smells like odor, but there actually is source somewhere and I can actually figure out where source is. And I think sometimes we also don't necessarily think that's possible. We're like there's a kiddie pool, there's a hide in it. If the odor is filling up the whole thing, which yes, the odor is filling up the whole thing, but the dog can still um, get it all the way to source if they think that they should. Now, of course, confidence comes into play as well. If they're not confident with water, then you've got other things you need to play with, with setting up that kind of an exercise. But all of that really, I think, is wrapped up in making sure that the dog does not lose track of the fact that source is the criteria in this exercise, just like it is in all of the other elements that we put them in. Um, that this isn't some separate special thing where we want them alerting on wh whatever, you know, seems vaguely accurate. And that's an amazing breakdown for all those things. So I even though for myself as an instructor, when I was talk, have been talking about buried, the things I would worry about is, okay, when, when you have something that's buried, the dogs are going to want to use their feet. They're going to yes. want to try to, to, you know, disturb some of that odor. So then we need the grates, but then right. exactly what you were talking about of, well, now the dog is like, well, did you want me to just tell you where pool, where odor is pooling and collecting? And again, those handle things that you were talking about is absolutely true. Cause then we also talk about, well, we don't want people contaminating the containers. So then we actually have them rewarding on the side of the containers, right. which makes those handles very, very reinforcing. Like, oh, look, I also got cookies here too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a very good point. Yeah. And I do agree that the potential for them scratching is a problem. You know, as judges, we get very nervous when dogs start interacting with those containers with their feet, because a lot of us have had whole containers knocked over. And when it's water, that's a big deal. And so I think sometimes we may get a little too worried about it. Like, yes, we really don't want that to happen in trial, but we may need to spend some time working through that in um, practice if it is coming up for that dog. And you're right, it's completely natural for them to want to scratch at a substrate like that. For buried was a thing um, in competition. We were once working in this big sand lot and we decided to do just barely buried hides, just the tiniest bit of sand over them and just said, okay, dogs, see what you can figure out. And my dog, you know, she was, I think, already an elite maybe at the time, running around going, I don't know what's going on here. This is weird. And then finally she put her nose to the ground, scratched it with her foot and went, oh, okay. And then got all of the hides. 
and the scratch wasn't even anywhere near any of the hides but it just it clicked and you know anyone with she's not a terrier but anyone with the terrier knows that they can figure out what's going on underground from ages away from where the animal actually is and you know there are a lot of unnatural things we ask the dog for in scent work and I think that it's important that we do keep those in mind so we know when that we're kind of fighting with their nature and figure out how we can mitigate that to the best of our ability and I also think when the grates are on we can still look for that connection with oh, there is odor in their source down in there um, versus like a behavior of poking at a part of the container. And I think often because we tend to want to wait for communication, um, we wait so long that the dog has moved from that connection with source into that, that behavior communication side. And so sometimes it's also us dropping what we think it means for them to tell us that it's in there and focus more on their understanding uh, because we already know what do we need them to tell us for you know for in practice we know it's in there um so we should be looking so carefully for their understanding versus um them telling us in my opinion such good points and i think that that's something that people it's something that we've had you discuss very a bunch for our webinars and she also talks about the importance of different concepts and you know you're not always working on everything sometimes you're working yes. on hunts sometimes you're working on sourcing sometimes you're working on the alerts sometimes you know, all these and people are like what doing that all at the same time <laughs> yes it's so true so is that something you want to talk about a little bit more in the in the realm of buried like okay that seems really interesting i didn't know that i was supposed to just wait for this connection to odor that natalie is talking about what does that actually look like then if i'm training because i thought that i was waiting for the dog to look at me or for the dog to freeze or the dog to stand on their head and spinnacles like what am i supposed to be doing to see this connection with odor if I am still having the hide somewhat buried either in the sand or in the water, are they supposed to be doing something in particular? Are they supposed to be looking at the middle of the grate looking down? What are they supposed to be doing? Help me, Natalie. I'm so confused now. <laughs> uh, yes, it's a good question. And I think, you know, if, if someone feels like they're really not seeing it, they should ask someone to watch them. Because sometimes when you're the handler and you're there in the moment and you're nervous that your timing is going to be off and you're holding the food and maybe you're also holding a leash and all this stuff, sometimes you don't see the things that you would normally see. And videoing yourself, of course, is also a really good thing to do. But what I think that you should really be looking for is the dog getting there and going, oh, I would get in further if I could. I know sources in there, the grates in my way, I wish I could get in. And that often is them more toward the middle of the grate because we tend to bury it straight down. And, you know, the, yes, the odor does move to the sides and all of that. But to me, it's sort of the dog, their focus and attention is like pushing under the sand as opposed to it's on the edge or even on the grate itself. It's past that. People may sometimes see the same behavior in other inaccessibles, like in cupboards and if you make a blockade or something like that, where the dog goes, they're bracketing, I wish I could get in there. Um, all of their attention is much deeper than the object that's blocking them. So that's really what I'm looking for, which is, it's not, you know, the dog pokes the, you know, this number, great. And that's when you know, you know, that little hole, that's when you know they're under there, um, you know, a short with a short dog, it's going to be a little bit different. They're probably are going to be close to the edge, but they're still going to be that attention that's kind of past the grate and very odor focused. They haven't yet shifted to handler focus. They're still very much focused on the odor. And for some dogs, it may be hard to get that at first because they have so strongly learned 
you know, like quick pick this one smells kind of like odor, just make a decision and communicate with the handler. And that's when you tend to have more problems because you have more of a disconnection from odor or from source in that case. And with those, I would really recommend that people work back to a place where it is sourceable, reconnect the dog with the idea that that is important in this element, and then put the grate back on and then try to get that without waiting for the communication. Does any of that make sense? Yes, that makes wonderful sense. I think it's going to help a lot of people be like, oh, that's what you're doing. <laughs> now, for anyone who may think they're like, okay, well, maybe I do need to take a couple of steps backwards. And they're like, okay, maybe I can take the grate off, but shouldn't I have my hide buried at the four inches? Like, wait a minute, isn't, uh, we're, we're still getting ready for trial. I have a trial in two weeks, Natalie. What's going to happen? I'm going backwards too much. My dog is not going to know what I'm doing. Help. <laughs> well. Um, first, let me say that with my older elite dog, every time we're getting ready for trial, I am working on sourcing because she's done the fancy stuff. We've practiced that for years, you know, but I want to make sure that she is as tuned up to the criteria of each hide should be sourced as possible so that when hides are too far away, when she can't get within two feet or six feet or 12 feet, that she is still trying. And I can read that trying as she would get into that area if she would. She would get higher if she could, she would get deeper if she could, but there are physical parameters stopping her from getting there. And it makes my job reading her much easier because she's not saying, well, the last three trials, you told me that you would pay me four feet from odor or 10 feet from odor. So why don't I just communicate 10 feet away? It saves me a lot of time. I don't have to push all the way in. I know it's, you know, this distance. And so I think it's a kindness to our dogs to be really clear about the criteria that we expect, uh, because if we change it on them without realizing it, they're going to give us what we told them the new criteria was, especially certain kinds of dogs who switch criteria very easily. And then, uh, as I said earlier, then they're doing what we trained them for and we don't realize that we made an error in understanding what they thought they were being paid for. So I highly recommend going into a trial that you take the grade off, put the hide on top of the sand, let them source it like that a couple times, then go under a little bit further, a little bit further, being careful, of course, about the scratching. You don't want to get in reinforcing a scratching right before a trial in particular. I mean, ever, but especially right before a trial. And then, you know, if you feel the need to get the grate back on there and get a few repetitions of them connecting with source with the grate on, absolutely. You know, I don't want people going into trial feeling like they changed everything and they and the dog are confused. But I do think that the dog staying connected to the criteria of sourcing is paramount for getting as few wears and no's as possible in trial. Excellent. <laughs> and I just want to make it clear for everyone that this is something that if you are, are hearing this wonderful advice from Natalie and your brain is exploding and you're like, oh my God, I don't know. Just know that myself as an instructor, that, that I have fallen into all these things myself. Be like, oh, well, I got, I got to make sure these dogs are not scratching. And I got to make sure that they're getting ready for trial. And I have people are trialing in like two weeks. Like, okay, we're just trying to mimic this as much as possible. What Natalie's pointing out is very, very good. It's excellent advice and everyone should be taking it. It also can help to kind of you know pump the brakes a little bit <laughs> that, you know, if you can wait to do buried until you and your dog are ready, that your confidence that you have in your dog is everything. And once you lose that, you are going to be in trouble and buried can be a beast. So one of the things yes. I wanted to talk about in this podcast with you is why it can be such a beast. 
so particularly if you could talk about the various different ways that they could see buried that you may go to a trial and have buried out in a parking lot. You may have another buried that it's underneath an awning. You have another one that is inside. You have another one that's humid. What does all that do to the buried element, Miss Natalie? <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. I've talked to so many people who half of them want it to be outside and half of them want it to be inside because they've had success in either of those spaces and really feel like, well, it's better when it's there. Now, I think one of the huge tricky parts of buried is when you have wind, which you can have that airflow inside or outside, and you've got that big space under the grate and odor blowing into that big space, you can end up with a large cloud of odor sitting in that container that, and that's a tricky problem for the dog to say, well, there's a ton of odor in here, but there's actually no source in here. I do believe they can figure that out, but a lot of dogs will go, oh, this is it. And then go, oh, wait, maybe not. Uh, and sometimes that us trying carefully to read them, don't give them quite enough time to go, oh, wait, it's not, let me work this all the way to source. Or the dog may not have seen enough of that where one odor is blowing into one or more other containers. And so that is a great thing to set up in practice where, you know, test your wind, know which direction it's going, set it up, let it sit for a while. You know, even 30 minutes or an hour is more than enough to get a strong uh, pooling picture if you've got the wind for it. And, you know, again, inside as well, you can get this. In fact, I think one of the strongest potential pooling problems I've had in judging buried was indoors um, in like a large kind of, not a tent, but but one of those buildings that feels kind of like a tent, like it doesn't have solid, solid walls and it had a very high ceiling. And down at ground level, it just had this low steady wind and those low steady winds, it's, it's a little easier often if the wind is blowing back and forth because the dog realizes that's what's going on. But you've got this low wind blowing the same direction and just all of this odor getting dumped into a particular container. And I was really lucky to have a demo dog who was super clear about what was happening. And I got to make a, just a few inch shift with the containers and make a really big difference in the experience that the other dogs had. Uh, but sometimes there's nothing you can do about the wind. And you know, the most recent place I set up buried was between two, I guess they were buildings, but anyway, two walls and another wall far at the back and wind like coming in and swirling and then leaving the other end and the dogs did a nice job but it was a they had to work and they also needed to be allowed to work out to those walls figure out what was going on with the wind and come back in whereas if they're stopped as soon as they're about to leave the uh, boxes then often they they make more guesses because they can't confirm what's going on and they end up saying well maybe it's this one because i can't get far enough to figure out that it's not so I really believe in giving the dogs a lot of freedom of movement, even in container-like setups where we think, well, it's, we know it's in here. I want them to work this, but that's not how wind and odor work. And so I think that um, relaxing about that often makes a really big difference. You know, don't go call it on the wall, but you can let the dog work the wall and that can be hugely to their benefit. And it can be to the handler's benefit too. Uh, there was one handler in that search actually who beautifully observed their dog working odor up a pole and then back over and then over a box they maybe thought it was in to where it actually was. And because they noticed how the dog was working that wind and working it back, they were a lot more relaxed and they just let the dog do it instead of thinking that the dog was maybe goofing off or, or moving them on too soon, you know, whatever the handler could have done. I have seen frozen water, which is 
fun and exciting, but odor moves through frozen water. So um, it may not be what we expect, but sometimes there's nothing you can do about the weather. You know, sometimes even inside it would, it could be mostly or entirely frozen because there's no heat. So I think as handlers, we should go, hey, the weather's the weather. If I'm choosing to trial, I'm just going to believe that my dog can do it. And if you get a chance to practice in the cold, that's great. But we know that dogs um, in like search and rescue applications work things from much larger distances underwater, under frozen water and are very accurate. And so I think we need to you know, know that our dogs are good at what they do and just let them do it and not allow it to make us more flustered because that competitor stress is often what gets to us more than whatever could be going on that's different with the, the substrate itself. All good things. And I hope that everyone's also hearing in between the lines here of people are seeing something and they're just trying to call it fast to trial because we're worried about times and placements and things, but that our dogs are not machines. And these are really complicated puzzles. It's going to take them some time to figure it out. Breathe and let your dog do that, that you may still be in the placements because you did that because you didn't get a no yes, <laughs> or you didn't absolutely. get aware. <laughs> yes. Yes. And one other thing that I uh, meant to say and forgot was I, I often see in the stress of coming into a buried search, the handlers moving very quickly. And I think that often works better for, well, better than it doesn't vary, maybe not better in totality, in containers where the odor tends to be much more straightforward. It's not getting filtered through the substrate and ending up really cloudy and confusing, generally in containers. In buried, you move that fast and the dog's like, I can't process anything because we're just flying through the space. And so I think letting them take it at their pace really, really helps. Often I see teams do a couple of laps at high speeds and make no progress. And if they don't get a fault, and are able to slow down, relax, let the dog work, then the dog starts finding things. We just have a terrier digging in the background. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I haven't heard it at all. <laughs> so as a judge, what are some of the things that you're noticing for teams that do very well in buried? You had mentioned that they're taking their time a little bit more, that they're allowing their dog to work the space. And also, please, I really hope that everyone who's listening takes this to heart, that yes, we understand the odor is inside those containers. Odor doesn't just stay in there, though. It's not like, oh, here's my box. I got to stay in here. Like, it is actually interacting with the environment. So please allow your dog to check out the environment if they're chasing odor. But is there anything else that you're noticing for handlers when they're tackling buried and they're actually doing well? And I also want to define well that it may not mean that they qualify, but that they're actually going through the experience and they are no worse off than when they first started, when they first crossed <laughs> the start line. <laughs> yes. Well, I do think something you said earlier is very important that uh, teams may get in this sort of downward spiral with buried and um, end up mistrusting of themselves and their dog. And I do think that if you're in a mistrustful place where you're going in saying, I can't trust you, you shouldn't be in that search because it'll only make things worse. Um, and you need to get to a place where you can go and saying, I trust you. Even if, if you make an error, it's probably because I, I taught you something incorrectly or confused you in the moment or something. Um, it's not malicious. It's not that you're stupid. It's that something has gone wrong and we can fix it. And, or it's you're overfaced by the environment or there's something going on. But I think handlers who do well come in with a lot of trust in their dog. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean calling fast, but it means when the dog has given them clear information, they believe them. They do give the dog a lot of space and patience if the dog needs it. And 
in the upper levels where you in excellent you can have three in master you don't know how many you have handler memory and this really actually comes into play in advance as well as soon as you have more than one hide and, you know and obviously you can find a hide and get out of there in advanced you have to remember where the first one was and in excellent you have to remember where two were while looking for the third and so even coverage of the space not getting stuck in any one area becomes really important having a way of figuring out where you have and haven't been but also like you're standing here at a box orienting yourself to where you are in space so that when you if you get back there again you don't go I have no idea because I didn't look around when I was here before I don't know if this all looks the same as everything else and then in in master being willing to say okay my dog has cleared this after whatever number passes hopefully you know it's nice if the team can do it in two or less because things tend to get really convoluted it, the longer you stay out there but of course that's two or fewer passes where the dog is really able to work if you're moving through space and the dog is acclimating you're not clearing those because the dog hasn't been there to clear you know they aren't they weren't clearing them when they were there so i'm not encouraging teams to just walk through and then leave but to you know if this is the fourth or fifth or sixth time you're working in the containers because they give you a lot of time at those higher levels then you probably gather so the teams who do really well tend to have a plan of how they're going to cover the boxes um, and they tend to believe the dog when they say when the dog says they cleared and they get out of there and you know a lot of that comes just through good practice and that trust in the dog that the dog knows their job and that you know what it looks like when they have checked a box and it's not there and when they've checked a box and it is there and having a ways of managing all of the myriad of ways that Barry can be set up because judges have a lot more freedom to set up the boxes in uh, wild ways that may or may not be easy to keep track of and so tricks for yourself and you know figuring out how your own brain works in terms of what's going to work for you for those tricks to keep track of where you haven't been and not let that become this overwhelming murky soup of a search area I think it's going to help a lot of people again try to I think a lot of times when we're talking about these things we're always talking about what we do wrong or how to fix mm -hmm. problems or whatever else but I think highlighting you know what goes well and then also yeah. redefining what that means that that's not always going to be qualifying because odor right. is a thing and everyone yeah. the judge the trial hosts the volunteers the staff you and your dog everyone tried their best and odor said not yeah. today <laughs> yeah yeah and I like if the team goes through and they confidently cleared the dog was working and something kooky was going on with the odor but they both both handler and dog did their jobs and got out of there that's great you know that's much better than dragging your dog around for four minutes and 50 seconds and <laughs> begging them to find an unfindable hide it just may not be findable in that moment so i love to see teams that really trust their dog you can see that they have built that teamwork together and they under they both understand the element they're in they understand what the job is and they don't let competition stress take them over. And like in any element, I was talking about the memory piece before, but I, I do wanna say memory is something that often gets overlooked as a handler skill. And we tend to say, oh, well, I just don't have a good memory. And that may be true, but it is something that can be worked on. Um, and I have seen people who really did have atrocious memories, find ways to work on them for scent work and, become able to remember where hides were, remember where they hadn't, hadn't been, and remember, you know, what their dog did in the search and have a lot more awareness and presence in their searches, which I also think makes them a lot more enjoyable. 
That's a really good thing. And that this also for everyone listening means that I'm going to be following with Natalie, see if we can have her for a webinar about how we can improve our memory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I just wanted to mention that you do indeed offer a berry class through us, the Working Water Hides course. Do you just want to do a quick plug or talk about that class as far as what people could look forward to if they were interested in dating? Like Natalie sounds like she'd be a really good person for me to train under. Well, guess what? We have a course. So do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Sure. So the Working Water Hides course is really intended to start from ground zero. Your dog has never seen a box with water in it before and work your way up to um, being able to go and compete in water, hopefully very confidently. And I think with how I like to train um, water, that ground zero where I start in that course is where I want to bring my dog back every once in a while, no matter how advanced they are. I think anytime you're losing clarity or the dog is losing clarity with what's going on in water buried searches, I want to bring them back there. I don't want to stay up in the, you know, murky, confusing piece if I can re-clarify things for them. And so even though it's intended to be, you know, absolutely no experience required, um, if you are having trouble, that is where I would restart anyway. Perfect. And yes, we definitely highly recommend. I've had several clients who have gone through this course that were like, I was just lost and buried. It was a mess. We were getting no's, we were getting where's, it was just such a thing. And then they took it and they're like, oh, clarity. Oh, we're doing so much better. And also, by the way, like Natalie's an excellent instructor. So yes, if you guys are interested in doing buried in any of the levels, take that course. (laughs) I know that I have put together various courses for AKC trial prep and I'm always like, oh yeah, we're only going to be like brushing up on Barry because you want to go take this course with Natalie because she's so much better than I am. So do that. Thank you. <laughs> do you have anything else coming up that people would want to know about as far as any kind of speaking engagements or where you're potentially officiating or anything else coming up on your end? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I'm already booking judging stuff like through next spring, I think. So <laughs> there's a variety of things in the works that are in it. I don't even remember what states. I think I'm going to like Minnesota in September, October. I'm doing some stuff more locally to me in the St. Louis area, sort of all over the place. And I'm also uh, COing for some NACSW trials coming up in Oklahoma and Wisconsin. So yeah, that's a, I think, I don't know. My brain doesn't know what else is going on fast this week. Exactly. It's like, oh, look, the phone's like, oh, I'm going to be in a different state like next week. Okay, there we exactly. will go. Yes. <laughs> and then for people who are like, you know what, Natalie sounds really awesome. And I, I'm thinking about the course, but I may have something that's a little bit more personal for me and my dog as far as something we're struggling with. Do you offer any kind of virtual one-on-one? Maybe you do Zoom consultations. Maybe you do video reviews. What do you offer, Miss Natalie? Yeah, so through Centwork University, I have a handler's choice class where we work on whatever the team wants to work on, um, completely customizable uh, for any issues you might be having or just things you want someone sort of bothering you to work on something. Uh, and then I also have a sent study buddy uh, program that is monthly topics um, where you have a prompt, like the first one is field trips, getting yourself out and about, which is so important for dogs, especially if you're competing. Uh, And then it goes through other um, topics like containers, interiors, thresholds, you know, whatever um, the, you know, big topics that are important um, in scent work. And so that one, you know, we can still work on things that are 
you know, specific to the team, of course, um, but it's a little bit more structured in terms of the suggestions of um, at least where you're working, the kinds of hides potentially that you're um, setting up. And then I do have um, video review options. If it's just like a one-off, like oh, I got these trial videos and I want someone to look at them um, and Zoom consultations or privates and all that stuff. Perfect. So we'll make certain in the podcast replay as far as the page where all of our wonderful information is going to be we're going to have links for all that stuff because you want to work at natalie she is very very experienced she's talented and also the feedback that she gives is excellent so again we are beyond fortunate that you share your expertise with our clients because i know it elevates everyone so thank you thank you thank you (laughs) my pleasure so as you can see natalie is extraordinarily experienced when it comes to akc buried she's been officiating this from very early on from when akc first came on the scene And she's also been teaching it also through Setwork University with her Working Water Hides course. I really urge everyone who is interested in competing in AKC Network, has either already started competing in the Berry class or they're interested in the Berry class, definitely take a listen to this episode, (laughs) but also make certain that you check out her Working Water Hides course. It is really excellent. We have received a lot of feedback from people who have been struggling in Buried because it can be a bear of a class. And they went through Natalie's online course through Network University and it totally turned around the results that they were getting. They and their dogs had a better understanding about the class. They were more successful. So I strongly urge you to make certain that you check that out. I will have links for her course as well as the other courses that she provides to Network University her Scent Buddy course, as well as how you may be able to work with her one-on-one, either through a Zoom consultation or by submitting videos for her to review and provide feedback on. I'm very, very thankful that Natalie took some time to do this episode. I love when our instructors share their expertise with our listeners. You guys don't want to just listen to me. (laughs) And these are very, very experienced people. So thank you, thank you, thank you to Natalie. All right, guys, thanks so much. Happy training. We look forward to seeing you soon. 